the free for all roundtable brought to you by lexus avon canada's newest lexus dealer near canada's wonderland in the maple auto mall luxury is closer than you think round one on round one, Scott Reed is here, CTV political commentator, advisor to former Prime Minister Paul Martin, Deb Hutton, former advisor to two Ontario premiers, and Jerry Agar, host of the Jerry Agar Show, right here on the Mighty 1010. I want you to call me advisor to Ontario. All right. Okay. A counselor's more fun, or maybe we could call you consigliere. <laughs> yeah, I'm going with that one. <laughs> okay, uh, let's start with a very serious topic. Uh, some of you may have heard our conversation with Emily. She claims to have been sexually assaulted in January 2022, and the trial took so long, resulting from delays, which people blame on a shortage of court personnel, that the charges have now been dismissed. Uh, Jerry Igar, you know, when you consider how rarely a victim actually goes ahead and does all the things that need to be done to get somebody put on trial, and then we can't pull the trial off. It's nuts. Yeah, uh, it's a it's a tragedy, and uh, this has to get fixed. I mean, our court system and our so many of our systems seem to be falling apart for lack of resources, so we're going to have to cut back in a bunch of other areas, I think, and get serious about the things that really count. The, let's, let's be honest here. I noticed that you were careful to continue to say, you say that you were assaulted allegedly because legally... Not no one in court. Been, yeah. Yeah. So, no, she, of course, came at it with certainty, and I get that. Uh, but but it's um, it, it's just unbelievable if you ha- if in fact she was raped, and then to see the guy walk away because of a failure in the court system. It's it, it's not the judge's fault. I think the judge had to do what the judge had to do, but the system couldn't get the thing uh, handled in time. And by the way, my producer Donnie and I had turned the radio up, and we listened to that interview, and we looked at each other and said, "What would you do if?" you were the dad. Yeah. You know, I mean, at some point, if the system does not do its job, vigilantism will happen. And Deb, it's almost like being assaulted all over again. I mean, she has to live with the assault and then live with the fact that the justice system failed her. Well, and unlike so many crimes, uh, all of which are horrible, the notion of sexual assault and having to come forward and do, as she says, everything that she was supposed to do that really, you know, is is terrible for a woman in this situation and then get to this result is crazy. Look, the rational part of me, such as it is, however small that piece is, says, okay, I understand uh, people shouldn't have to sit in jail, particularly if they're not guilty, yada, yada, yada. But man, this is pure emotion for me and the notion that we are not protecting victims of horrific crimes in this province is disgusting and they've got to fix it it's just period you have to fix it this can't continue to happen yeah and the problem scott reed is it's kind of like the chalk clock in uh, basketball clocks are ticking on all kinds of trials right now well that's right i mean this obviously draws our attention because it's a violent crime and it's horrific and it's just hard for us to believe that you're not going to actually get around to administering justice in a case like this, but it is happening in less sensational cases every day. And, you know, like this is just one of those things, you know, Jerry kind of said the same thing that, you know, comes down to money. It comes down to resources and, you know, you try to scrimp on some of this stuff because it feels like, well, that's just kind of operating expenses to make the system work. Like we can kind of get by this year. Could we get by next year? And then, you know, a few years go by and you realize, actually, no, uh, we've busted the machine. They've got to put some money in and, you know, where's it going to come from? That's not an easy question to answer. But, you know, these basic services have to be fulfilled. These basic functions have to be fulfilled because 
A, it needs to happen, and B, when they're not fulfilled, it actually does undermine people's confidence in our ability to get anything done, and then you get crazy politics. Seem to be some signals that the provincial government is going to terminate its deal with the people who run the beer store uh, two years from now, but they'll serve notice quite soon. Deb Hutton couldn't happen faster for me. I've always hated the beer store. (laughs) Well, I don't go, uh, except for one thing, which is to return my empties of non-beer alcohol and wine. And so that's a real question in how this wraps up, because uh, I I don't think you can continue to prop up the beer store for returns, uh, and yet we need to make sure we're continuing to recycle. Look, my view on this is, yes, it's a lot of jobs, and yes, it was fundamental to our industries uh, and our economy for a long time, but man, they've had 10 years to prepare. And if they're not ready and if they think there needs to be a similar agreement, then that's just irresponsible. So let's figure it out. Let's move forward. But this notion that we are artificially supporting an industry anymore is, I think, just old, old, old. Scott Reed, are you going to miss the beer store? Uh, Well, no, but I was part of the renegotiation of the last Master Framework deal. And I'll just say this. It's not as easy as it looks and or it comes to real consequences. So here's the thing. In 2016, when, and it, frankly, a year running up to it, we sat down, I was working at the time with uh, the advisory council that Premier Wynne had put in place to deal with this. We desperately wanted to break this deal up. We wanted to blow the thing to sky high. And we couldn't for two reasons. One, because we wanted to secure prime real estate for Ontario craft uh, brewers because they were having a real problem breaking into the marketplace. And you couldn't do that unless you used the distribution mechanism of the beer store. So they kind of had you there. Now, there's been a lot of success there um, since, thanks to that agreement. But the second thing, and this is the, the hell of it, is that because they've had this thing in place for decades, they've actually structured a system where they do all the delivery. They do the distribution of beer and they do it for zero. Like they don't... It's literally uh, cost-free, and the problem, therefore, is that if we blow it up, it's very likely that the cost of beer is going to go up. So when Doug Ford talks about buck of beer, it's going to be, yeah, there's going to be a buck extra of beer on everything. And the economics have changed post-pandemic and over the past few years, but that was the problem we ran into. We desperately wanted to smash that beer store agreement, but we found that it was going to end up costing people more for their beer, and we didn't think that that was going to go over too darn well. All right, Jerry. Why would it cost more for beer when, you, when, when companies tell you they're doing something for free, then they're raking it in somewhere else? Because they had an exclusive right to distribute the beer, they had to, uh, to retail it. And what that meant, with some exceptions, you know, you craft brewers can do it. But what that meant was all those beer trucks, you see it on the road that are delivering to every restaurant. You don't think about the restaurants and bars, all of that. They do that basically at break-even cost. So if you say, sorry, you no longer have that monopoly, then all of a sudden, all those people that are going to be buying the beer elsewhere, all those distribution costs are going to be put onto the case of beer. That's the problem of it. The math doesn't work out. Now, maybe you can fix that. And there's been a lot of innovation in the marketplace the last 10 years because of those craft brewers. But that was the big problem at the time. It was going to mean people were going to get passed on those additional costs. So why do we pay double for beer that they play across the border? Well, it's, they haven't had this system for 70 years. It's a whole pile of stuff. And by the way, we don't. Like in a lot of places, yeah, we in do. a lot of ways, we don't pay more. And then there's this minimum price of beer. The whole thing is a tangled hornet's nest. And I do hope it dies. But I'm just telling you, it ain't going to be as easy as it looks. Because people say, well, that's a slam dunk. Just do it. 
That's what we thought, too, when we got into the thing. We seem to have a very activist labor minister, and he seems to think and act more in an NDP frame of mind, but that's okay. Um, let me start. No, it isn't. All right. Well, let me start with you. <laughs> Uh, banning unpaid restaurant shifts. A lot of people don't know that it's quite common for somebody who wants to work in a restaurant to be told, you got to work today's lunch, you won't get paid, we'll see if it works out. That's free labor. Oh, okay, but it's also, uh, did you, when you went out and auditioned for um, movie roles, John, did you get paid? No, but if well, I was called back, I got paid. Well, okay, but um, okay, but that would be like, you tell somebody you got to work here for a week. No, wait a minute. I can show you in a few hours whether or not I can do the job as, uh, as a waiter. So I think that's fair enough. Saying to somebody, you got to work for the week, that would be like calling people back and calling people back and not, not paying them. But I see it as like an audition. Okay, Scott Reed, in the current market, you could probably have a free server every single day. Uh, yeah, you know what? I, I, I'm not going to get into the uh, details of how this works in the marketplace. I don't want to pretend to be expert in that. Um, I will say this, politically, this is crazy smart. And, and as a liberal, it's crazy scary. And what I mean by that is this. You watch Doug Ford. You watch what Pierre Polyev is doing. They're, they appear to be eating the NDP's lunch because they're going for those lunch bucket workaday workers, and they're not letting those people just fall to the NDP anymore. But the real threat is that that is to uh, liberals because what the liberals are going to find is they get squeezed and squeezed and squeezed. If they can't count on the people that are working in behind the bar, if they can't count on the people who are working where the factory whistle is blowing, then suddenly you're just left with the professors and the professional class, and that is too narrow a voter coalition. This is smart politics. It's about building out the uh, voter coalition for the conservatives, federally and provincially. Ford's been very dogged at it and very successful. And it's a big, big, big problem for the liberals and the NDP. So, Deb Hutton, your thoughts on making somebody work an entire shift just to see if the two of you like each other? Well, I'm with Scott. I mean, <laughs> this is for the people, my friends. Uh, listen, a lot of things changed during COVID around workers, around our labor market. And so trying to rebalance that, I think, is is what the government is is currently doing and looking at. I did say earlier this week when we were talking about uh, which is part of this legislation uh, saying what a salary range is when you're posting a position, that the devil's in the details, and there'll be a little bit of that. But in terms of their approach, protecting workers and making sure that we have workers in the workforce filling those slots that we've all seen are vacant day after day after day in places like restaurants is really good for the economy and, as Scott says, good for politics. An investigative report compares figures and says that the provincial government is paying more to private clinics, one in particular that they profile for routine surgeries, than they pay to hospitals. So they're actually padding profits. Um, Deb Hutton, I know that um, Tim Hudak had some interesting reflections on this this morning, saying it wasn't really apples to apples. 110%. I actually think this is a bit irresponsible. So number one, there are people who believe that unless every square inch of everything in a medical facility is owned by you and me, by the taxpayers, that that's somehow wrong. You know, that if the toilet paper isn't owned by us, that the healthcare system's going to crumble. And I would argue that the CBC is in that position who did this story. Are the procedures being paid for by your OHIP card? Yes. Are we clearing the backlog? Yes. Are doctors getting paid the same regardless of where they provide the actual service, the surgery in this case? Yes. 
So for me, those things are good. Now, do we have some questions around what other additional pieces are being paid for, whether that's through base funding in hospitals, which hospitals just get, and we don't get to compare apples to apples? Or is this about... uh expediting surgeries, as the government said it would do, by making sure that you're able to hire multiple shifts of people so you can get more surgeries through in any given day. Those are all decent questions, but this notion that somehow the government is plowing gobs of cash into private sector clinics at the expense of hospitals is just plain crap. Scott Reed, I don't mind a mixed system, but I want to know that whoever's paying is getting a fair deal. Uh, I think that's right. And so, you know, I'm largely in broad strokes with with Deb in the sense that I think the the core principle that can't be breached is universal pay. So everybody gets services with their OHIP. You're never asked to pay out of pocket, I think, you know, for those insured services. Um, if this helps clear the backlog, if this takes pressure off of the hospital system, so such that the hospital system is able to strengthen itself and 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 grow stronger, Great. If if we're getting a bad deal, if these transfers to private clinics and as they become more ubiquitous, end up not sure the doctor will get paid the same, but is the owner of the clinic, if there's getting, you know, uh, padding there and they're getting more and more money and it's making a handful of people who run these clinics rich, then I think we're getting a raw deal. And so that stuff has to be uh, carefully monitored. I don't know that this story proves what it says it proves in terms of the numbers, but I think we have to be vigilant on this process going forward to make sure that we're not rewarding a bunch of people that don't deserve it. My thanks to you, Scout Reed, Deb Hutton, and Jerry Agar. Catch the Roundtable, round one at 745, round two at 845, weekday mornings on More in the Morning, News Talk 1010 Toronto.